uh, was in ICU, has been moved into a step-down unit, and hopefully will be going home here. His birthday is tomorrow, so he did not want to spend it in the hospital. But most importantly, we want Hudson to be, to be well. So add those um, prayer requests, and of course, while we're talking about prayer requests, Virginia Beach and what we've seen and, and praying for that, and, and again, um, for our country and for, for us to figure something out. So and for God to lead us in that. So all of those things to uh, to keep lifted up in prayers that I want just to to share with you and and draw your attention to. Now we're going to kind of pivot and we're going to uh, going to go back this week to oops, kind of close to where we left off last week. If you were here in worship, uh, we were talking last week. We we were in Acts chapter sixteen, which was that story of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke who were also with them. Uh, and their trip to Macedonia and into the, the city of Philippi and, and Paul and Silas's encounter with the women there, most specifically Lydia. And so we, we talked about that, and, and that was kind of our, our focus last week. We're going to pick up this week almost right after, and we're going to skip a few verses in there, um, but we're going to kind of pick up that story, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But I, um, I started with this. This was kind of the, the thought that started the, the process of, of sermon writing for this Sunday. And that, it was with, that was with the title of a book I came across called New World, New Mind. Now, let me preface this. It's only the title. I don't know anything about the book. Didn't read the book. Don't have the book. Saw it as I was looking for something else. You ever do that? You know, and you just kind of, the title caught my attention. So, I'm not not recommending the book to you. I'm not recommending it to you. I have no idea what it says. So if you go look for it, you do that at your own peril. But, um, but the title caught my attention. The title got me, got me thinking a little bit about that and, and how I would frame that kind of a thought. New world, new mind. And I'm sure where I went is not where the author went. But, but what I started to think about was the way that the changing world changes the way that we think. When, when the world around us changes, the way that we process things changes. For instance, if you had family that lived 60 miles away, and um, whatever that may be, let's just say Orlando. Let's just say you have family that lives in Orlando, brother, sister, mother, father, whatever, and they called up and said, hey, on this day, we're doing a, a party. Would you like to come? You have nothing planned that day. It was a free day for you. Most of you, unless there's some health issues, would not think twice about traveling 60 miles in a day and traveling home in the same day to spend a day with somebody. That's, you know, that's on an insignificant amount of time, but it's not a big issue for most of us because of the reality of the way that we travel, because of cars. Now, go back 120 years, 130 years, not a couple generations, not, not, we're not talking about ancient history. Go back a couple generations to a time before cars or before cars had the, the, the ability to travel at the speeds we do now before roads and interstates, people traveled by horse and buggy. You know how long it would take you to travel 60 miles by horse and buggy? Yeah, 8 to 12 hours. I, that was longer than I, 8 to 12 hours. Now, here's my point. 120 years ago, if somebody lived 60 miles away, was a trip to see him a big deal? Yeah. Course. It was a full day. It was the same kind of way that we, we think about it, the way I think about traveling to Tennessee to visit Ryan. That's a full day, just a day of travel. I would not drive up to have dinner with Ryan and drive home. I love my son, but I'm not doing that. 
But it's not an issue now. 60 miles isn't an issue. Why? Because we think different. Because the world changed. Technology changed the world and communication. I mean, travel. And, and so we, we don't think anything above it, about it. If somebody walked in here today and you were talking in a conversation, they said, oh, yeah, a couple days ago I was in China or I was in Korea or I was in India or some part of the Middle East, you wouldn't think anything of it. I mean, you, you might be, wow, that, tell me about your trip. But that kind of travel in a few days, not a big deal. Halfway around the world, the world changes the way we think about the world changes. Uh, we, could, we could list any number of technology, the way that we communicate now. It used to be that you had to, if you called somebody, you hoped to catch them at home. And if they didn't answer, you figured they weren't home. Now we have cell phones. You can catch somebody everywhere, anywhere. You know, again, you, you get the point. We could, any number of examples of the reality of way that the world changes and changes the way that we think, the way that we process, the way that we understand how things work. Uh, there's, there was a great video that went around a few months ago, I think, and some parents, uh, I may even have mentioned at one point, but, but some parents videotaped their, either their sons or their son and a friend, I don't know which, teenage boys. They gave them a test. They gave them two to three minutes to figure out how to make a phone call on a rotary phone. Have you seen it? Some of you see that video? And you, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. And, and I was reading, one of the most spiritually damaging places to spend any time is in the comment section in any kind of public thing online. But I was reading some of the comments and people were like, oh, these kids these days are so dumb. No, they're not. These kids these days can do things we can't do. They're not dumb. Their world's changed. Their world is different. That's all it is. And, and every generation has had that. You, you get the point. So, so again, new world, new mind. As the world changes, the way we process, the way we think changes. So with that in mind, I started to flip that on its end. I started flipping that around a little bit. Because I was thinking, yes, there's no doubt that's true. New world, new mind. What about new mind, new world? What about those times where we see examples of thinking that changes our world or changes the way that we see our world. Because I think that's a more dominant biblical narrative, is that we have our, our thinking changed. Our experience, something in our experience changes the way that we see and understand God or the world that God has created. I mean, think about it. Moses at the burning bush. If, if you know that story and you go back, you can read it in Exodus chapter 3. But, but Moses comes to a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning. And this unexplainable phenomenon, this, this experience that makes no sense to him, is the catalyst for a conversation that Moses has, has with God, or that God has with Moses. And when Moses finishes that conversation, he goes back to his people the world looks no different to everybody else. But to Moses, it'll never be the same. Because an experience he has changes the way that he thinks and the way that he sees the world, the way that he sees God, the way that he understands God works and is not limited by our expectations. So much so that emboldens Moses to take a step of faith that he couldn't have imagined himself taking and going back to Egypt to be the voice that God would use to lead his people out of slavery. So in that case, the world didn't look any different, at least not to most anybody else. 
but it would never look the same to Moses. In the Gospels, Peter, James, and John go on a mountain with Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration, and they see Jesus transformed, and they see Jesus have this conversation with the Heavenly Father, with God. You know, this is my son, listen to him, and in him I am pleased. They see this relationship that Jesus has with God that is unlike anything they could ever begin to imagine. And when they came off that mountain to everybody else, the world would look exactly the same as it did when they went on that mountain. But to them, it would never look the same again. Because an experience changes the way they see Jesus, they see God, they understand and begin to understand in pieces what this special relationship the son has to the father. Last one, the women at the tomb on Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday. They go and they experience a t stone that's rolled away, a tomb that's empty. They have a conversation with an angel. They have a conversation with Jesus, and they return to the disciples. To the disciples, everything looked exactly the same, but to the women, the world would never look the same again because they'd experience a resurrected Savior. That the disciples would soon have that experience themselves. My point is, in so many places, what we see is not that the, the world changes so much as the way that we understand the world changes. The way that we see the world. And that begins to initiate change. And the world eventually does change. But it starts not with a new world, but with a new mind. A new, a new thinking. What does Romans say? Um, Do not be conformed to the teachings of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God is in the process of renewing minds, of changing the way that we see the world. And that brings us to Acts chapter 16. Because this is a story, maybe not as, certainly not as well known as the ones that I just talked about. Not as maybe familiar to us as some of those stories. But no less of a powerful change in worldview of a man that would change his eternity and change the way that he not only sees the world, but the way that he will begin to interact with the world. And he's not even given a name. He's just the jailer. And that's where we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. Now, let me set the stage. Because if you were here last, work, last week, we left the scene with Paul and Silas, with Lydia, as she and the family are baptized. And it's a happy ending kind of story. But as often happened in the ministry of Paul and Silas and the other apostles, um, things got a little darker. The, 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 the circumstances changed, and, and the, the catalyst for this change is their encounter with this girl who's possessed, who has the spirit of divination and, and, and is a profit center for, for her masters. They use her to make money. And she's kind of antagonizing Paul and Silas. And finally, Paul casts out the demon that gave her this supernatural ability. And in doing so, the masters not only, they don't celebrate the liberation of this girl. They are angry at the loss of their resources. They're, they're angry at the loss of their ability to produce income. She's a commodity, not a person. That's a whole different sermon. But, but that's what happens. So they have Paul. They, they, they make charges against Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are taken into custody. They are beaten, flogged, and they're thrown into jail. So that's what's happened now between Lydia and where we pick up in verse 25 is Paul and Silas have been arrested. They've been beaten and they've been locked in the center of the jail cell. And that's where verse 25 picks up the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that, that we would believe. Let that be our seed this morning. That you would speak through your Holy Spirit, through, through this hour of worship through these moments, to accomplish your will, that we would believe. That is our challenge. That's our invitation. Speak to us now in these moments. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. The story, this encounter, this experience for Paul and Silas, but most specifically for this jailer, are all built on this fundamental experience. That which is not expected is exactly what happened. That which was not expected is exactly what happened. Well, I don't know how something not expected can be exactly what happened. But what happened was not expected. Let's put it that way. And that becomes a catalyst for change, for God's Holy Spirit to move in, in a significant way. Now, now, what do I mean that what wasn't expected is exactly what happened? Well, Paul and Silas are in jail. And as the scriptures say, they're worshiping, they're praying they're, they're, they're seeing God even in this, this moment of, of uh, incarceration. Now, Scripture tells us an earthquake comes, shakes the ground so hard that the doors are open, the chains fall off. And at that moment, at that moment, if we stop the story, if, if we quit right there and I say, okay, close your Bibles, don't read anything more, and let's pretend you'd never heard this story before, what you would probably expect, the next line to be something along this and Paul and Silas left the prison, right? Because that's what we expect. When something miraculous like this happens and people that are incarcerated have the doors open, if, if, if the local jail cell suddenly um, had every door open and there was no guards to stop anybody from leaving, we would expect to find an empty jail cell when we got there. That's, that's what we would expect here. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, there's a story of Peter being imprisoned with Herod wanting his life and the angel of the Lord liberating Peter and leading him out of the prison to his freedom, to his safety. That's what we'd expect here. That's what I would expect. I would expect the next thing to be Paul and Silas stuff. That's what the jailer expected. Now, how do we know he expected that? Because the very first thing that he gets ready to do when he realizes that the doors are open and the chains are off is he prepares to kill himself. Because that was going to be his fate anyway. Because... A jailer that let the prisoners out is of no use to the empire. So he decides he's going to do to himself before 
the empire, the authorities can do to him. He thinks they've gone. He didn't even bother to check because he thinks they've gone. And the next thing is, Paul and Silas cry out, don't harm yourself, don't do it. We're all still here. We are all still here. And suddenly his worldview gets challenged. He gets a shock to the system because something happens that makes no sense. And the scripture says that, says that he ran to Paul and Silas and he fell down before them trembling. Trembling. Most of us probably have had experiences that shocked us. Usually they're, they're experiences that, that you know, are a threat or we feel that harm's about to come to us like a near accident or something that leave us trembling. But, but circumstances for me that, leave, that, that I think about are that trembling experiences are things when the unexpected happens. And, and that's exactly what, what this is. And something happened that he didn't expect and it changes the way that he forever sees the world. It happens to us all the time. It happens all around us. In fact, I was laughing this morning when I came in and saw the, the, the um, decorations for VBS. This was perfect timing because our gator is back out. If you were last year, you remember the gator was out. I think it was last year and, and I made um, comments about a certain university that got me in trouble, but um, but our but our gator was here, and um, but but did you see the story from Clearwater on Friday? Did you see that on the news? Just in case you didn't, woman in Clearwater got up in the middle of the night because she heard noises in her kitchen that she thought was an intruder, and what was it? An eleven-foot alligator in her kitchen. Now. Do you think she trembled? You know? Now, here's what I know. Completely unexpected. None of us expect to get up at any point and ever find an alligator in our kitchen. Do you think she'll ever walk into her kitchen again the same way? Do you think she'll ever walk into her kitchen for the rest of her life without turning on the light and looking first? I'd almost guarantee she does it. Why? Because her worldview changed. Her worldview in that moment changed. Something that was unexpected would seem impossible and ridiculous to imagine suddenly happened. When those moments happen, you begin to see the world differently, as crazy as that may seem. When this jailer realizes Paul and Silas are still there, he begins to see the world very differently, very, very quickly. Very quickly. Because the first thing he asks them as he falls down trembling, as he says this, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want you to think for a second, because I kind of jumped ahead. Because one of the questions we'd have to ask ourselves is why were Paul and Silas still sitting there? Why were they still in the prison? Because most of us would say, see that as a divine sign that God wants us out, and we would have left. Paul and Silas don't. Why? Why would you sit in a jail cell that's been opened when you've been wrongly accused and imprisoned to begin with? Well, there's only one reason I can come up with, is that somebody else mattered more to them than their own well-being. They believed there was something more important for them to do in the jail cell than there was for them to accomplish outside the jail cell. And the only answer I can find, the only person I can point to, is this jailer. 
something they knew was happening here. They'd been worshiping. It said that the other prisoners were listening to them when they worshiped in that jail. So you know who else I bet was listening? A jailer. Trying to make sense of a couple nutbags worshiping God and praising while they're in jail. And they were worshiping and praising God because they knew God was moving. And what's the point of payoff? It's right here. Verse 30. What must I do to be saved? Something has radically changed. But this becomes a moment for further renewing. A fresh take. A chance for God to begin to to continue to reorient the way that this man thinks and using Paul and Silas to do it. Because there's a couple things that need to pivot. I think there's a couple, couple opportunities for us as we explore just these last four verses that we read where, where Paul and Silas begin to help be the instruments that God uses to help change this man's way of thinking. And I think it's a challenge for our way of thinking. Because his question is very revealing. What must I do to receive eternal life. What must I do? Because he's raised and he's grown up in a society and in, in a culture that values human life based on human accomplishment. That values somebody based on what he or she does. How do I know that? Because he was about to kill himself because his prisoner, he thought, had escaped. Because the empire didn't care what the reason was, no matter how miraculous it was. If you're a jailer and you can't keep your prisoner in the cell, you're of no value. Because your value is based on what you do. And, and cultures often do that. We fall into that. We are a resume culture. I've, I've helped both my children now in the last few years develop and create their resumes for colleges or scholarships or jobs. And, and most of us have done that. Nothing wrong with resumes. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But they're dangerous because when we begin to value ourselves based on our accomplishments, when we begin to find our value based on how much we have on a resume, then we're falling into the same trap as this jailer. What must I do? My worth and my value is assigned based on what I do, what I have, what I've accomplished, what I can brag about, what I can post on social media. But God's Word teaches us something very, very different. God's Word teaches, John chapter 12, to all who believe, He gives the right to be called sons and daughters of God. God's love is not based upon what we do but who we are. Parents, grandparents, you know this. You love your children, your, your grandchildren, children in your life, whoever. You love them not based on what they do, but who they are. I love my children not because of anything that they've done. I'm proud of what they've done. I love them because they're my kids. There's nothing they can do that's going to make me love them more. There's nothing they can do that's going to make me love them less. I can be disappointed. I can be happy. I can be proud. I can be sad but it doesn't change my love. Now, if I can do that, and I'm very imperfect as a father, if you can do that as imperfect as you are, how much more so is our perfect Heavenly Father able to love us, not based on what we do, but who we are. To all who believe, He gives the rights to be called sons and daughters of God. God loves us based on who we are. 
He gives and offers this gift of, of salvation through faith because of that love. And there's nothing we do to earn it. That's Paul's verse. You are saved by faith. Nothing you do earns it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's a free gift. The jailer has to have his mindset challenged. He has to, he has to begin to think differently because his, his first inclination is, okay, you all have this salvation. I want it. What do I have to do to get it? And what Paul says to him, the very next verse, is not go do anything, but believe. Put your trust in. Put your trust in. You are offered this gift through faith. That is what, if you want to put it this way, that's what you must do. You don't go earn it. Don't go achieve it. Believe that God has offered it to you. Believe. And with that, Paul and Silas begin to bring the word. With that, Paul and Silas begin to share the gospel. And for us, we need to hear that message again. You and I need to be reminded of this change in mindset. Our faith begins with God's free gift. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to, to, to make God offer it because it's freely given. And it begins to change the way that we understand God's love for us. And we understand our value. Because here's the good news. You're valued and you matter before you've ever done anything. All, all are matter. So, so it's not what we do. It is who we are. But, but, there is a point which, where a personal faith becomes a communal expression. There's a point where, where a personal faith gets lived out in community and communal faithfulness. Faith is not about what you do. Faithfulness is. Did you hear that? Faith is not about what you do. Faithfulness is. Now, what am I talking about? The very next thing, after he hears the word, after the jailer hears this, after um, this gospel message is presented, it says that even before he's baptized, he gets down and begins to treat the wounds of Paul and Silas. He begins to minister to them. He begins to serve them because they've been beaten. They've, they've been incarcerated. They've been through the ringer, if you will. He begins to care. He begins to offer to take care of them. And then after he and the family are baptized, he has a feast. He invites others into the feast. He begins to live out his faith immediately through the way that he serves and loves others. See, faith is God's free gift. Faithfulness is what God calls us to, which is to live out a personal faith in a communal expression, which is to say that, that we're called to go and to serve and, and let our faith be witnessed by the things that we do. If our faith is just, and I say this all the time, if it's just a matter of our worship, if it's just us singing songs and reciting creeds and saying prayers and, and being together when we leave out here, we're no different than when we came in. There's been no renewing of our minds taking place. There's been no change. When God begins through this jailer, through what he experiences, he begins to see the world differently. And he begins to see that he's valued and he matters because of who he is. 
But he also begins to see the way that he can bless and impact others, and he immediately begins to live into it. The world outside his walls looks no different, but for him, the world will never, ever look the same. That's what God calls us to. You know, the early church, their calling card, the way that they, they got known and recognized and made an impact and, and got stared at because they seemed weird not a step, through the way that they cared for other people. In 361 AD, there was an emperor that ascended to the, to the, to the seat of power called um, Julian. Um, what did it, it was like? Um, Julian the Apostate. That was, that was how he was called. Julian the Apostate. He was the last um, non-Christian emperor of, of Rome for, for you know, hundreds of years. He tried to stamp out Christianity as it has started to really take root in the Roman Empire. He didn't do it through violence. He knew that hadn't worked. He, he'd studied history, and he knew every emperor that had tried to stamp out Christianity through violence. All it did was made Christianity stronger. He tried to undermine it and undermine its, its influence and undermine the financial resources that were at the hands of those who were Christians. Obviously, he had no success. But he wrote a letter to a pagan priest as he had tried to reinstitute these um, uh, previous uh, practices and, and religious faith. He wrote this letter to this pagan priest, and he was lamenting the fact that the pagans' priests had ignored the needy and the vulnerable among them, and the Galileans, as he called them. These followers of Jesus had stepped into that place and began to take care of the needy. And he said, you, or he said they not only take care of their own, they take care of ours as well. And what he was saying is that the way that they've made a difference, the reason I can't get rid of them is because people see the way that they care and love others. People see the way that they live out their faith through their faithfulness. And so here's what I believe. The catalyst for Christianity was and always has been compassion. The catalyst for Christianity was compassion. This jailer immediately begins to show compassion. He begins to care for Peter, Paul and Silas. He begins to share his resources. When our mindset shifts, when, when it changes for us, when God overwhelms us by the experience of his, of his Holy Spirit, we begin to see the world differently. We see ourselves differently. We understand why we are valued, why we matter, but we also begin to understand God calls us to something, and that is to live out faith by being faithfulness, by being faithful, living out that call. So, so here's the thing. Sometimes a new world changes a new mind, but sometimes a new mind begins to change the world, and that's what Christ invites us to. I invite you to let God renew your mind and in doing to begin to change your world. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, we offer ourselves to you, and we, we thank you for the gift of your love, for the gift of your presence, for the gift of Jesus. And we pray that, that in being changed by your Holy Spirit, we would see the world differently, we would serve the world differently, we would be renewed and we would become instruments of your holy and noble purpose. Lord, renew our minds 
that we would be instruments to change our world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.